0: Praise God. God's good, isn't he? Uh, yeah, the last couple of, the last couple of weekends I've been, uh, I've been in Mexico. God was doing some incredible things. Um, I was at a conference. There were 1,000 teenagers uh, uh, just on fire for God, just praising, worshiping, hungry for God. They are teaching from uh, 10 a.m. till about 10 p.m. And they were all there with their notebooks, their pens, coming out, encountering the Holy Spirit, People being healed, saved. It was just a real powerful, uh, powerful time in God's presence. Uh, God's working all over the world. Amen and it's great to be great to be back with you this morning Uh, let's just pray and then we're going to we're going to get into God's word this morning father want to thank you uh, for your presence that's here want to thank you for this awesome time of worship that we've just had and God want to thank you this morning that you want to come and speak to us Lord God through the power of your word right now why don't you just put your hand on your heart right now and just just pray right now God we just want to open our hearts right now up to what you want to say right now. We want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and speak and bring your truth and your revelation in your life in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Praise God. If you if you can put the um the, the screen up, that would be great. So um the last time I spoke, um, it was about three, four Sundays ago, um, I spoke a message, I don't know if you can remember that far back, uh, but I spoke a message called uh, the gate of heaven. And um, we, we looked together at an encounter that Jacob had in the book of Genesis. This was a key scripture, Genesis 28 verse 17, Jacob Goes to sleep in the middle of nowhere. He wakes up, and while he's asleep, he has this incredible vision. He sees a ladder that's going from earth to heaven or from heaven to earth, depending on which way you want to look at it. And angels are going up and down the ladder. God himself, is stood at the top of the ladder speaking to him. And in the midst of seeing this incredible vision, having this incredible God encounter, Jacob wakes up and this is his statement. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so there's a a couple of real powerful things in this verse. Firstly, Jacob has this realisation, God lives here. This is God's house. God's presence, God's glory dwells here on earth with me. And who knows this morning, as we gather together as a church, we have come to the house of God. We've not come to a, a building this morning praying and asking and hoping that God would turn up. Actually, we've come to his house this morning. We've come to his presence. This is a place where God lives, God dwells, God abides. Amen? And then he makes this this statement, which is where uh, we really focused on last time. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Can everyone say gate of heaven? (laughs) So Jacob comes to this realisation that God's house is a gate. So this morning, we have not just come to a meeting. We've not just come to a building. We've not just come to sing songs. We've not just come to listen to a preach. This morning, we have come to a gateway, to a gate, a gate that's open. Now, a gate is an access point. It's a way into something. So the house of God is a gateway, an access point into heaven itself. So heaven is not just a place that we go to when we die, but it is a realm that we can access right now, this morning. We have access to the glory of God, the presence of God. We have access to the miraculous. We have access to healing. We have access to breakthrough, to freedom, to grace, to kindness. We could go on and on and on and on. Everything that is in God, everything that is part of God's kingdom, we have come to a place where we can access it this morning. We've come to the gate of heaven, amen? And uh, notice it says gate singular not plural because heaven only has one gate and his name is Jesus. Jesus said I am the gate. Jesus is the only way to the father. He is the access point into heaven. He is the access into God's blessing and God's promises and we we closed last time by talking about the fact that that it's not enough just to come to the gate. It's not just enough to talk about the gate or sing about the gate. We have to go through the gate. We have to have an, act, we have to have an encounter with the person and the presence of Jesus. Amen? So I want to I wanna continue um, this, this idea looking at the gate of heaven this morning. And um, one thing that, that struck me was that so many people in the Bible had incredible encounters at Gates'. So if you think again what the gate is, the gate of heaven, the gate of heaven is the person, the presence of Jesus. It's an encounter with Jesus. It's it's coming to the house of God and, and entering into all that God has for us. That's what the gate represents. And so many times in the Bible, people had incredible encounters at city gates or town gates. So what I want us to do this morning, and um, it will be helpful um, if you've got a Bible, or at least you've got access to one on your phone. If not, then um, then hopefully uh, um, you can follow with us this morning. Um, but we're going to look at several people in the Bible who had encounters or significant moments at gates. And I'll be really honest with you, um, As I was studying this on on Friday morning, this message went in a totally different direction um, to the way that I thought it was going to go in. Isn't it nice when God surprises you? Um, Because I began to notice that there was a common theme in every single one of these stories that I'd never seen before. And so the first one that we're going to look at is, is Boaz and the story of Ruth. And so um, we're going to look, uh, read a few verses from Ruth chapter 4. So the story of Ruth is actually the story originally of a Jewish lady called Naomi. Naomi lives in a town called Bethlehem, um, which you may have, uh, have known uh, uh, know about from the famous um, Christmas carol. And... Um, <laughs> Um, That that hit made that that town famous. And um, there is a famine in Bethlehem. So Naomi and her husband and her two sons leave Bethlehem. They go to Moab. They go to a city outside of Israel. And while they're there, um, Naomi's two sons marry two Gentile women. But tragedy strikes. Not only does Naomi's husband die, but both of her children die as well. And Naomi is left literally with nothing. But she hears that there is food back in Bethlehem. So Naomi takes one of her daughters-in-law and goes back to Bethlehem, a broken woman, a bitter woman, who who literally has been stripped of everything. And she arrives in Bethlehem. and, And as the story goes on, you read about this kind of strange custom that was part of the Jewish law, which was the custom of the kinsman redeemer. And the the way that this law worked was this, that if there was a widow who had no husband, no children to provide for her, her husband's closest living relative could act as a kinsman redeemer and buy the land off of her dead husband, give the money to her widow so that she could have something to, to, to live on. Are you following me? So we know that Boaz, um, the hero of the story, he wants to be the kinsman redeemer to Naomi. But Boaz says there's actually another guy who's a closer living relative than I am. He, by rights, is a closer kinsman redeemer than I am. And this is what it says in, um, in Ruth chapter 4. It says, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and he sat there. When the kinsman redeemer um, he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, (coughs) come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. So these two men are sat at the gate and at the gate, they have a decision to make. So um, the elders are there, uh, the, the people of the town are there. And uh, it says in verse 3: said to the kinsman redeemer Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has a right to do it except you and I'm next in line. I will redeem it, he said. And you can just imagine uh, Boaz's heart kind of sinking as the kinsman redeemer says, the opportunity to buy some land, I'm up for it. Extend my portfolio, my business interests, I'll go for it. But then Boaz says this, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. What's going on is this that the kinsman redeemer, who's not mentioned, he's up for buying some land. But then Boaz says, Not only do you have to redeem the land, but you also have to marry a woman that you didn't choose. And the implication being that you're going to have children together. And this was part of the law. This is an important thing to get. That when a kinsman redeemer married um, the the relative's widow and they had children together, those children carried on the family name, not of the, the redeemer, but of the guy who has died. So in other words, he's going to bring up children who wouldn't get his name. And he thinks, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, you know, put all the cost and all the energy and all the work that goes into raising a son if that son is not going to carry on my name, my family line. And so he turns down the opportunity to be the kinsman redeemer. So here is Boaz at the gate. And Boaz shows incredible kindness, incredible generosity, incredible love in buying land that wasn't his, marrying a woman that he didn't choose, and raising children that would never get his family name. Do you see the incredible generosity of this guy Boaz? And what was the result? Well, the, the book ends with these words. It says that Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Yeah. That decision by Boaz to show kindness and generosity to the family of Ruth and Naomi, it opened up such a world of blessing and favor that he got to be part of the family tree of Messiah, yeah. he got to be part of God's redemptive plan and God's redemptive purposes. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? What th- this is the ironic thing and the truth you can never outgive God. What was the name of the kinsman redeemer who was so concerned about preserving his name? Yeah. Yeah. We don't know, but Boaz today. Yeah. We're still preaching about him. He's known as a man of truth and integrity, and when, so- when Boaz's great-great-grandson Solomon built the temple, he named one of the pillars of the temple, Boaz, after his great-great-grandfather, as a permanent memorial. You can never outgive God. Uh, the next story um, is in First Kings um, chapter 17. And it's a story, the remarkable story, about a widow woman. Um, Israel um, is in famine. Um, you're going to notice this kind of theme um, in a few of these stories. And Elijah, it says in verse 7, that the, the brook where Elijah was getting provision from dried up. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. This is 1 Kings 17.8. Go once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. What an incredible miracle. Here is a woman so poor that she is literally down to her last meal. Can you imagine none of us here uh, would ever, I'm sure, be in the extreme poverty that this woman is in, where she literally is going to eat her final meal and then she is going to watch as her and her son starve to death. I mean, can you imagine the horror of that situation? And then in the midst of this, at the gate of the town, comes the prophet and he says, That meal, give it to me. And right there, that woman has a choice at the gate. Is she going to give the little that she has away to the man of God? And she makes a decision of such staggering generosity and kindness and honour that she sows into the ministry of Elijah. She gives away the little that she has She's willing to go without so that this man can have his needs met. Incredible, isn't it? And what was the result? God opened up for her the windows of supernatural provision. She, God opened up for her the miraculous. God opened up for a supernatural provision. And throughout the time of famine, she had enough... For her, for her family, for Elijah. You read later on that her son gets sick and dies. But because she's opened up her home to Elijah. Elijah, the anointing is there. And she raises, Elijah raises her son from the dead. She experiences the incredible, miraculous power of God. Because one day at a town gate, she decided to show kindness and generosity. Even when she herself had little. That's powerful, isn't it? Uh, The next story, this is um, uh, over in 2 Kings chapter 7. This has always been one of my favourite stories in the Old Testament. It's a story of four men with leprosy. Um, uh, uh, This story is that the town of Samaria is under siege. Uh, The enemies, um, I think it's the, uh, let me have a look. It's the Arameans. The Arameans have surrounded the city. They're not allowing provision into the city. And so everyone in the city is starving to death, literally. Um, And this is what it says in, in verse three. It says, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city... The famine is there and we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. It it's, makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. They've got to do something. We're, not, we're going to die if we, if we don't move. So at the gate of the city, they make a decision. Let's go over to the camp of the enemy. And what happens next is Extraordinary. Can you just imagine these four men with leprosy? As they arrive at the enemy's camp, not knowing that God has done a miracle during the night, he's created some kind of supernatural sound that has caused the Arameans to to get so scared that they've fled and left everything. And the Bible says that these lepers go into one of the tents and they find... So much food and so much drink that they start to have a party. (laughs) And then they find gold and silver and clothes and they pick it up and they start to bury it. And then they go into another tent and it's the same scenario. These guys are set up for life. I don't know how long their life was because they've got leprosy, but nevertheless there's enough there to... to to provide for the rest of their days and their children and children's children. But then they have this realisation. Everyone else in the city is starving to death. Do we keep what we found to ourselves or do we go back to the town gates and share this good news? Of course, letting everybody else know means less for them. But they make a decision to go back to the town gates and to share the good news. Guys, there is food, there is drink, there is silver, there is gold, there is clothing, there is more than enough. Come and share with us what we found. What was the result? God opened up for these four men the opportunity to be part Of the salvation of a city. They got to be part of God's redemptive plan. They got to witness God's deliverance, God's salvation, God's miraculous power. Because right there at the gate, they made a choice to share what they've been given. Are you beginning to see there's a little bit of a pattern going on here? Next story is from the book of Esther. <clears throat> Esther chapter 4 uh, many of us we know the story of Esther Esther um, is set in the kingdom of Persia where the Jews are in exile there's an evil man called Haman and he has helped pass a law that on a particular day all the Jews are going to be exterminated who knows that's not good if you're a Jew yeah. and Mordecai whose cousin is Queen Esther decides that he's got to do something about this. So it says in, in Esther chapter four, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. So there at the, at the gate, the king's gate, um, Esther gets, sorry Mordecai gets word to Queen Esther He says, Esther, you've got to go into the presence of the king and plead with him to save the Jewish people. And and Esther's response is, I can't. Because the law says that if I go into the king's presence without being invited, he could execute me. And that's not what I particularly want to happen to me. And Mordecai's response is this, Esther, this is more important than you. This is more important than your life. This is more important than your privilege as a royal princess. This is more important than your status as queen. There's the lives of a nation at stake. And he says, who knows, Esther? but that you were called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe you've got a purpose that's bigger than you. Maybe you've got a purpose that's bigger than you just sitting on a throne all day. And Esther comes to this decision. She says, I'll go into the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mm -hmm. Esther at the gate made a decision. My life is secondary to the lives of the people. I would rather give my life away if there's a chance that God's people can be saved. And she gave the, potentially the ultimate sacrifice of her own life. And what was the result of this bravery, this kindness, this generosity... God used her to touch the heart of a king, save a nation, save a race, deliver God's people. And God's redemptive plan through the Jews is still going on today because of Esther's extraordinary act of sacrifice. Let's go over into the (coughs) New Testament for a moment in Acts chapter 10. And look at Peter. You still with me? Acts chapter 10. Um, Acts chapter 10 is one of the most significant uh, chapters in the New Testament. Because up until this point, the gospel has only been preached to the Jews. But in Acts chapter 10, you read about a, a Gentile man, an Italian called Cornelius. And one day Cornelius has an angel turn up and the angel says to Cornelius, send some messages to a guy called Peter because he's going to give you a message from God. Meanwhile, Peter is up on his roof praying and he has a vision in which loads of unclean animals come down. And of course, Jewish people still today don't eat any animal that that is non-kosher. And the word comes from God, Peter, kill these animals and eat them. And Peter says, no way. I have never eaten anything that's unclean. And the response from God is this, don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. And then this is where we come to in, in verse 17. While Peter was still wondering about the meaning of the vision, The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They can't go through the gate because they're Gentiles and they're considered unclean by the Jews. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them For I have sent them. So now at the gate, Peter has a decision to make. You see, up to this point, Peter's circle of love, if I can use that expression, his circle of love was limited. It was small. It was limited to just the Jews. Peter's circle of acceptance and tolerance it was small, it was limited. His circle of those that he would fellowship with and those who would, he would show grace to, it was small, it was limited. His ministry was small and limited. But now, at the gate, God was trying to get Peter to see something. He was saying, Peter, I want your circle of love to be enlarged. So it doesn't just include your people. It doesn't just include the ones that you are comfortable with. It doesn't just include those that you think it's acceptable to love. But actually, your circle of love is, so, is going to be so big that it's going to include the whole world. Yeah. I want, to, I want your circle of acceptance, your circle of tolerance, your circle of grace, your circle of ministry to, to be so enlarged that it doesn't just include the Jews, but it includes everybody. And right there at the gate, Peter gets past his prejudices and his tradition and he reaches out to those he would never have considered reaching out to. He goes to their home and what was the result? God opened up salvation for the entire family of Cornelius. There's a move of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even get to finish his sermon because halfway through the Holy Spirit falls. I know some of you are thinking, do that today, Jesus. Um, And not only that, but he opens up, God opens up salvation For for us, for the Gentiles, now in every nation, every tribe, every kingdom, every country, every language, every colour, there are people that love Jesus because Peter made that decision. Those I love, those I minister to, it's too small. I've got to enlarge it. And all that happened at the gate of his house. Can you see that there's there's a pattern here? It was at the gate that Boaz chose to show kindness and generosity to Naomi and Ruth. It was at the gate that the widow chose to show kindness and generosity to Elijah. It was at the gate that the lepers chose to show kindness and generosity to a starving city. It was at the gate that Esther chose to think past herself And to think of others. And it was at the gate that Peter chose to enlarge the circle of love and acceptance. There's another one that's not even in my notes or on the PowerPoint. Because this only, God just kind of showed me this literally just before the meeting. Uh, But if in Genesis uh, chapter, let me find it. Genesis 19. um, It's the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. uh, That nice cheerful um, passage and, um, and you know that God sends two angels into Sodom to rescue Lot and uh, as I was uh, reminded of this this morning again I was just blown away by this consistent pattern because it says that the two angels arrived at Sodom this is in Genesis 19 in the evening and Lot was sitting where in the gateway of the city when he saw them, he got up, met them, bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night there, then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they, go, they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. What an incredible... You may think it's coincidence, but I think it's a clear pattern. Yeah. Again, at the gate, Lot encounters two strangers. And who does this? He, show, he invites them to his home for a meal. Yeah. He shows them kindness and generosity and provision. Yeah. Later on when when the men of the town come and and they want to abuse his visitors in a a horrific way. He sticks up for them and protects them. He shows kindness to strangers not realising that he was entertaining angels unawares. And because of that decision, God opened up salvation for Lot and his family when the city was destroyed. Time and again... You see people at gates in the Bible making a decision to show generosity, kindness, love, to bless people, to accept people, to sow into people. And the result is that God opens up for them salvation, destiny, the miraculous, provision, incredible things. This morning, we are at the gate of heaven. That's right. we and we have an opportunity to be generous. We have an opportunity to give. I love this, this scripture. in uh, This is in Proverbs. This is out of the message. And I think this sums it up. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. But the world of the stingy gets smaller And smaller. Do you know any stingy people? Don't look at your neighbor. Now, generosity and stinginess are not just related to finance, actually, they relate to every area of our life. They're they're a heart issue. So, some people are stingy. Yes, in finance, but actually you look at their lives, they're stingy in everything. They're stingy in encouragement. They're stingy in praise. I don't mean hallelujah praise. I just mean praising people, speaking life over people. There are people that are stingy in the time that they have for people. There are people that are stingy just in in their mindset. And and what's the result? Their world gets smaller and smaller. It's like a, a dried up prune. It just sucks the life and the nutrients out of everything in their world. But those who are generous, yes, generous in finance, But also generous in encouragement, generous in time, generous in hospitality, generous in blessing, generous in praise, generous in every area of their lives, generous in giving themselves to others. What is the result? Their world gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It just seems to me, uh, as someone who just observes, it seems to me that those that live stingy, they live small, shut in, closed lives but those who choose an attitude of generosity it's they have more friends they have more connections they have more opportunities they have more open doors it's like the more generous they are the more God's favor the more God's blessing the more God's goodness is opened up to them And here at the gate, we see God opening up things for people who showed incredible generosity. Here at the gate of heaven this morning, if we want to see those gates open up and enter into all that God has for us, we have to make a giving decision. At the gate, there is a unique opportunity to sow, to give, to be generous, to be extravagant, to enlarge our circle. And to think not of self, but of others. I'm going to look at one more. Again, it's in the New Testament. And it's in Acts 16. And it's a story of Lydia. And again, you're going to see so clearly this pattern that's repeated time after time. Paul goes to Macedonia, uh, which is a, a country that I preached in last year. And I preached on On Paul going to Macedonia and um, it says in verse 13, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, what did she do? Lo and behold, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer of the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Isn't this remarkable? Again, at the gates, Paul meets this woman. And I love the description of this woman. She was a worshipper of God. Because who knows, the ultimate act of of giving is our worship and praise to Jesus. And the Bible says that God opened up her heart to the gospel. And what was her response at the gate to God opening up her heart to the gospel? She opened up her home to some tired missionaries. Yeah. And she fed them. And clothed them. And housed them. And looked after them. Later on when Paul comes out of prison. He goes straight to Lydia's home. Yeah. She, again a woman. Who at the gate. Showed incredible generosity. To the servants of God. Sowing into the work. Of God's kingdom. Yeah. What was the result? Lydia is recorded as the first, Christ, the first convert to Christianity in Europe. Wow. Today, if you consider yourself a European and you are a Christian, Lydia is our spiritual mother. Because she made that decision to open up her home yeah. and to show generosity to the servants of God. Wow. I want to close... With this scripture from, uh, where is it? From Psalms, Psalm 100. This is found in the Passion Translation. Says this, you can pass through his open gates with the password of praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. So here the Psalmist says, you are at the gates. Do you want to enter in? Who wants to enter in this morning? through the gates, into an encounter with God. The psalmist says you come in with praise and worship. Praise and worship will get you through. And how many of us, we quote that verse full stop, but we miss the next bit. Come, bring your thank offering to him and affectionately bless his beautiful name. At the gate, praise and worship is always linked With the giving of an offering. The psalmist says if you want to enter through those gates. Praise. Give thanks. And take up an offering. Now in no way am I suggesting. That we can buy God's favour. Or we can pay for a healing or a miracle. Because who knows it's all grace. But there is a biblical principle. That as we give. As we show extravagant generosity, God opens up for us a world of blessing, a world of favor, a world of destiny. When, I, uh, when God put it on my heart this morning, preach on all the people that had encounters with God at a gate, I thought I knew where I was going to go. I thought, I'm going to preach on healing, miraculous, breakthrough. I was going to say to her, give us time at the end. We're going to lay hands on people. And I'll be honest, I was shocked and challenged when I realized that each one of these people that encountered the miraculous, it was linked with their generosity and their giving. So I think a great way to close would be to take up an offering. I'm going to do that in a moment, but let let me just, this is my final, final closing. Let's go right back to the scripture that we began with. Genesis 28, Jacob has this encounter with God. He says, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Then he goes on to say this, if God will be with me, will watch over me on this journey I'm taking, will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And listen to this. And of all that you will give me, I will give you a tenth. The principle of tithing, of giving God 10% of our income came at the gates of heaven. It was at the gates that Jacob thought my, my response to being at the gate, this access point into the glory of God, my response is this. I've got to give an offering. Yeah. I've got to sow into God's kingdom. Yeah. And, the, and the final verse that I want, I want to read, and this is, this is a famous verse. When anyone ever preaches on tithing, they always quote this verse from Malachi. Where God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Listen to this. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. God is saying, if you come to my gate and so. And give and be generous. Then from the other side, I will throw open my floodgates and I will pour into you so much blessing that I can't contain it.